Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on our weekly sermon drop. I'm Paul White, and it's a privilege anytime we get a chance to share good news with you. This particular message that you're about to hear, as you know, you clicked on it and saw that it was called The Nature of the Kingdom. That's a title that I put on it uh, after sitting through listening to it because it, it's, uh, it's unusual. It's different. This is not a sermon that we preached in a pulpit. It's not a sermon that we preached in our office to you, the audience. It's not actually a sermon at all. Today, I'm going to present something for you a little unusual. I'm going to present for you an interview. I recently sat down with Pastor Josiah Hodge of the Crossroads World Outreach Center in West Columbia, South Carolina. I've done several Sundays for Pastor Hodge in the year 2023. And on one of our trips there, a few months ago, he invited me to come a day early have a sit-down interview for their church podcast. Well, by permission, we've taken this interview and put it into a single sit-down form. And I'm going to air that for you today. If you would like to check out their podcast, and I encourage you to do so, look up Crossroads World Outreach Center podcast, available on Spotify. Now, normally... If we had something like this, I would put it on our podcast, usually on a long-form Friday on the Deeper Daily Podcast, but I really thought it might be a great one for the audience at large, because there's some a lot of people that don't listen to the podcast, um, and there's other people who only listen in on these Sunday drops, and so this is one for those who are interested in the kingdom. This goes down a lot of roads. It's different even than being up preaching on it because this is conversational. Pastor Josiah came to to the uh, we came to the table when he had several questions ready to go and he gives feedback and he jumps in and speaks and so I think this would be a, a pretty exciting um, conversation for all of you. So as as I said, I title it the nature of the kingdom, but we're just going to jump in and I'll let him uh, he, he'll, he'll begin talking. He'll kind of give you the intro and the greeting, and then away we go. I hope you enjoy. God bless. Hello, everyone. This is Josiah Hodge, and thank you for joining us for the Crossroads World Outreach Center podcast. We're so excited and honored to have you with us today. Today, I have a very, very special guest, and it's very special for two reasons. One, he's the first conversation we're actually having here on the podcast, but also this is Paul White of Paul White Ministries, and we're extremely excited to have him with us today. We have a topic that I am super excited about, um, and I believe this topic is going to be very beneficial for all of us. But before we hop into that today, I want Paul to tell us a little bit about himself. Ooh, that's a toughie. I got a lot of stuff. Um, I am a full-time itinerant minister. I spent 11 years as a senior pastor in Missouri. I was born and raised um, as a pastor's son, uh, evangelist son. Ministry sort of in my blood. I, I pastored a church from 2004. To 2015, and since 2015, we've been itinerant all over the country and around the world, sharing the good news. Um, we've written a few books. We host a podcast. Um, that's my sort of my activity. My passion is telling people about Jesus and introducing them to the life of God shown to us through Jesus, and trying to put the spotlight on Christ and and His life so that people can live that life. And uh, I'm honored to be here and to be 
in this conversation and get to know you and your church. And um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is the second time that Paul has been with us. Tomorrow morning will be his second time preaching on a Sunday. And I'm super excited because I love the way he sees the scriptures. I love the way he sees Jesus. Um, And our topic today is a really good one. It's one, I think, with everything going on in culture, with everything going on in the church, I think this is the most beneficial. Uh, Paul and I were bouncing around some ideas uh, of what we thought might be good. And this is the one I landed on for what I think is best for Crossroads as a church, but also for the denomination that we're in. I think it's going to be beneficial. And our topic today is the kingdom of God. Now, depending on who you hear, they may say different things about the kingdom of God and very different perspectives. And so today we're going to break this conversation up in three different questions. And we think that these three questions are going to cover some good ground and help give us a well-rounded understanding. And so let's hop into number one, Paul, if you're ready. And question number one is simply this. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, to me, is the reality that came with Jesus as the fulfillment of God's plan for history. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. And that hand meant what it sounds like, even in the Greek. It's right here. He even said, repent, the kingdom is at hand. So you are one mind change away, Jesus was saying, from the kingdom, because that's what repent is. It's metanoia. Change your mind. If you changed your mind, you could see that the kingdom is here. And in his own day, Jesus said, there's this particular moment in Matthew 12 where Jesus is casting out devils and the Pharisees and scribes come to him and and, um, accuse him of casting out devils by the power of the devil. And there's that famous house divided. But he says, if I cast out devils by the power of God, you must admit that the kingdom has come upon you. Mm. And so what I say is if you believe that Jesus was anointed and you believe that Jesus had the power of God and you believe Jesus was telling the truth, then the kingdom came when Jesus arrived. And he didn't take it away when he left. He deposited the kingdom because if you recall, repeatedly in the gospels, he said the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that, the kingdom is like this. We have all the definitions of the kingdom we need just by looking at Jesus. The kingdom is like a seed. You put it in the ground, it grows into a big tree, all the fowls of the air have a place to rest. The kingdom of God is like yeast. You drop it in three measures of meal, the whole loaf rises. The, the kingdom of God is like a, a, a man that throws a dragnet out into the water and hauls the fish in. The kingdom of God is like a field where he plants seed. Over and over, Jesus was showing us the kingdom is not something that we do, but something that he does. And so I think the kingdom is, is the reality that came with Jesus that fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom that was to come, the kingdom that would be of God and the kingdoms of the world would be upon his shoulders. And I don't, and I think that when you get to Paul, you get the definition that the kingdom is not something that you can expect to manifest in the natural, but something that begins to manifest in the spiritual. And I think anything that begins to manifest in the spiritual works its way into the natural. Because Paul goes, the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, the kingdom of God is not the tangible. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not what you put in your mouth. The kingdom of God is not what you put your hands on. The kingdom of God, rather, are things that are invisible. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So can can we jump in? Can we jump that verse a little bit deeper? Because I think yeah. I think evaluating that, I think that verse is very key to our grasping understanding of what Jesus really meant by the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, so if, let, let's jump into that a little bit more. Let's hear a little bit more about that. Well, I, I don't think... I'm, I'm of the persuasion that Paul is not trying to isolate the kingdom down to three qualities. Yeah. 
But he's not saying the kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy, and that's it. I think the key there is the kingdom of God manifest in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. Okay, so where's the kingdom? In the Spirit. So wherever the Spirit is, the kingdom is. Mm -hmm. Because the king has come, Jesus, and he said, I'm going to leave you the Spirit. Okay, so the king has left the Spirit with us, the Spirit of the king. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of the king is alive and well. It manifests itself in the realm of the Spirit. And three of those manifestations, I think pretty plainly, are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, you, you could break those three things down and just preach a series on the on the three spiritual mm-hmm. ingredients of the kingdom, and you would have the righteousness that is ours by faith in Christ, not of ourselves, not of our works. Um, so the kingdom cannot be built on my works, otherwise it couldn't be righteousness. Uh, joy, unspeakable, full of glory. This isn't just happiness. Happiness is a human emotion, but joy is a spiritual foundation. And then peace, not not necessarily peace between peoples, but peace between God and man that leads to peace between people. And so in every instance, it starts in the realm of the spirit. I am righteous, therefore I live righteous. Yeah. I have his joy, therefore that joy permeates my life. I am at peace with God, therefore I can be at peace with you. Yeah. So where the kingdom starts in the spirit, I do believe it manifests itself in the natural as we live the kingdom out. Because what we're doing is is we're living righteousness and justice. Yeah. We're living the joy of the Lord and we're living peace. So, t- so t- help, help me walk through this and understand this. Where do you think that the main mix-up has happened in a lot of circles where it's preached that the kingdom of God is established through government, through entertainment? Where do you think that got lost in translation, knowing that Paul said it's not meat or drink? It's not the physical aspects of this life. It's not going to be through government or entertainment that the kingdom of God is here. And where do you, also, where do you think the idea came from that we build the kingdom of God? I think part of the reason that we conflated that is because we became impressed with the beast. Hmm. I think when you get to the book of Revelation and it shows you God talking to his church across time, that's why there's seven churches, not six. Seven churches, not eight. Seven was a number to the Hebrews that had fullness attached to it. Jesus speaks to his church. And I think there's seven real churches. I don't want to insinuate it's not. But to the church across time, and, and in each case, there's a real underlying theme of you're going to have to make a choice. You can serve the lamb that was freshly slain or you can worship the beast. And I think what has happened is a lot of times we have seen that you can build systems in the world through power and money and authority and politics and government and military. And it's easier to pick the sword up in your hand than to let the sword come out of your mouth. The Jesus of Revelation never has a sword in his hand. He always has a sword coming out of his mouth. In fact, even the believer in Ephesians 6 doesn't have a sword in their hand. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which comes out of your mouth. And so the the kingdom is a declaration of the kingship of Christ. It is not a declaration of the lordship of Caesar. Mm -hmm. So Caesar picks the sword up and uses the violent means of this world to achieve his his, his ends. And I think that we have too often shortcutted our way to trying to infiltrate society or infiltrate government or infiltrate politics or infiltrate Hollywood thinking that we could usher in some sort of Christian kingdom by establishing a set of rules or laws or instructions. And I think 
right to do that, you've got to play the system of the world's game. Yeah. And the system of the world is exactly what Jesus rejects in the wilderness. You'll recall, when Jesus goes down to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, one of the temptations is the devil says, if you'll bow before me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He had the right to give the kingdoms of the world. The systems of this world are not the systems of God. And the devil goes, you can have it if you bow down to me because what it's going to cost you in order to get these kingdoms is one of two things. You can either bow to me or you can do it your way. And what was Jesus' way but to go to the cross Mm -hmm. and acquiesce into death so that he could resurrect the newness of life. And so only by conquering death could Jesus bring about a kingdom Mm -hmm. for us in the realm of spirit. But he's he's offered the shortcut that I think we've taken. Mm -hmm. The devil offers the shortcut that I think we take. We bow knee to the systems of the world. We'll go, okay, we'll play their game because their game is necessary. Mm-hmm. We'll play their politics because their politics are necessary. We'll do their thing because their thing is necessary. Jesus refused to do it, even though through the lens of the devil it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And so he refused to bow knee to the enemy because his kingdom is above the kingdoms of the earth. His kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the earth. And if you want to see his kingdom in action, you just watch Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm passionate about introducing people to Jesus, because I think we have a Christianity that is often built on moral standards. Yeah. It's often built on our parental history. Mm-hmm. It's built on our denominational standing. It's built on our constitutions. It's built on our government. We have a Christianity in America that's also wrapped up in the flag, mm-hmm. you know, that very much looks like... Yeah, nationalistic. America. Yeah, nationalistic. And I, and while I love my country, yeah. and I love where I live, and yeah, I'm proud of it, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I want the freedoms that I have, and the more if I can get them. Yeah. I mean, I don't see myself first and foremost as a citizen of this nation, of this city, of this state, of this county, but of the kingdom of God. And if I see that, then I got to live like it. And in living like it, I must often reject the loyalty and the allegiance to the systems of this world, which is reciprocity, which is often uh, you get what you deserve. I am constantly going to be confronted with the juxtaposition between the systems of this world and the system of my kingdom. Mm. And that juxtaposition is going to cause me to make decisions that are on the face. They, they show up in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. It's the stuff like um, turn the other cheek. I mean, as simple as turn the other cheek. Yeah. It was not simple. Yeah. But it's Jesus saying there's a way that the world will do this. Well, I mean, even let's, offer you another way. Even, even examples like that, which I think is beautiful, right? Here's what the world offers. Here's another way. And I think, you know, even I think a lot of the times a lot of people, we, we are too literal with the way that we view what Jesus said. And so, you know, we think of, slight, you know, turn the other cheek as someone they're physically harming yeah. and attacking when in reality, that could just be a Facebook comment that you did not appreciate and you hop yeah. back on Facebook, right? Absolutely. And you fire off on people. And I think I think that's what I've seen in my own life of seeing the kingdom for what it is and seeing Jesus is that now Holy Spirit clearly shows me there's always another way. Absolutely. I would even say there's a third way. That's that's the Jesus way. It's the third way. Because there is always another way anyway. You could just be passive. Jesus isn't supporting passivity. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I I am a fan of... uh, I am a fan of what I believe is Jesus' way of nonviolent resistance. Jesus does resist. He just doesn't use the systems of the world to resist. His resistance looks like Calvary. Mm -hmm. He steps into death. He doesn't run from it. So there's a courage at Calvary that cannot be faked by apathy. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, are you a pacifist? I say no, because I wouldn't need Jesus to be a pacifist. Yeah, that's true. You could be a pacifist and not know Christ. Mm-hmm. You could be a pacifist just because you're a coward. <laughs> you could be a 
pacifist because you, you're hateful. You just don't care. You could be a pacifist because you are scared. Um, or you could, they could call you a pacifist because you have chosen to resist the systems of the world but refuse to pick up their sword to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, what would that look like? I think it would look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so that's what I mean by the kingdom as being a present reality that's alive in Jesus and why we have to introduce people to Jesus. And in, in truth, Josiah, I think we have to consider that a lot of us have had a Christianity of afterlife, yeah. moral codes, doing right, not doing wrong. And while I'm a fan of the afterlife, I haven't been there, <laughs> but I believe there's life after I die. Yeah. And while I'm a fan of moral codes in relation to keeping my neighbor off of me and not killing me and yeah. not stealing my stuff... Um, I don't think that's Christianity. I don't think that's why I'm following Jesus. Yeah. I'm not following Jesus so I'll do the right thing. I'm following Jesus to participate in the life of God. Yeah. Which I think I think is a dangerous place we're at right now in my generation is that we think being a Christian is being a good person and we think Jesus was a good just a good person, right? Yeah. Because I have a lot of a lot of people I know who aren't Jesus followers and their statement is, Yeah, I can see how you follow Jesus. He was such a good guy. Yeah. And and I think honestly, I think that's the same mentality as a lot of people in church, is that we don't see Jesus for who he was a lot of the times, but we see Jesus as a good person, as someone who had such good moralistic standings that we want to model life after Jesus, not to partake in his sufferings and in his death, That's it. but we want to partake in the moralistic standard, which is yeah. in our present society in the South, in America, means you're a good person. People like you yeah. if you have good moralistic standing. And a uh, fear of mine as a local pastor is too, is that it is such a societal thing where we live here in South Carolina. It is so societal in the fact that if you live in the South, a majority of people go to church because that's what you've always done. That's right. I, I, that's what I meant earlier by what I kind of call a modern version of Christianity. Yeah. You know, uh, it's wrapped up in heritage and family and flag. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily wrapped up in the sacrificial death of Christ. To your point, we, there can be a version of our faith that follows Jesus because he has high principles. And yeah. You could end up as Gandhi. Yeah, it's true. Gandhi loved Jesus, he right? Loved Jesus. Yeah. He's the one that said, I love Jesus. I just don't like his followers. Yes, yeah. And part of the thing about, and I can't speak for Gandhi, but part of the thing I think to, towards that attitude mm-hmm. is that it's, it is, it's one thing to talk about following Jesus as a script, say the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. and say, I want to follow that as the way I live my life. I do think the world will be a better place, mm-hmm. truly, if yeah. we follow the principles of Jesus. But that's not what we're doing. We are not disciples of Jesus's principles. We are not disciples of Jesus's patterns or his way of life. We are disciples of the resurrected Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, because he invites you to pick up your cross. Well, can, he can, invites you to sacrifice. Can we dive into that? I want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, because I, I think when people hear disciple of Jesus, right, because Jesus was a rabbi, I think oftentimes we view him simply as a rabbi, right, which teaches you how to live, how to speak, what to believe. Mm-hmm. I want to dive into that talking about being a disciple of his, you know, his sufferings, his death, his yeah. resurrection. What does that look like? Well, first of all, I think if we only were disciples of Jesus as a man, we better become good Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Because Jesus was a Jewish man. And he observed Jewish practice. He read Torah. He sang the Psalms. He participated in the life of the synagogue. And he lived in temple sacrificial worship and he observed it. So when we talk about disciples of Jesus, we are not talking about following his physical footsteps on the earth. We are talking about following the king and his kingdom. How he 
treated his neighbor, how he lived his life in regards to love, in regards to his response. But when we talk about sacrificial death and resurrection, we are participating in Christ's cross when we take ourselves there by faith. That's the beginning. As we take ourselves there by faith to participate in his death. But also we allow the Holy Spirit to actively put to death in our members the things that do not resemble the kingdom in his kingdom. And that's what Paul said to the Colossians. You go put to death in your members these things. You have all that's right after he goes, you died, your life is hidden in Christ and God. Mm-hmm. Okay, you died. When you accepted Christ, you died. Now put to death the things that are in your members. And so discipleship is the actively seeing the Holy Spirit work in us to put to death the things in our members that don't resemble Christ. And to live the life of the resurrected, for the many of you as are baptized into Christ are alive in his resurrection. You live in the likeness of his resurrection. And so it's then living out the new creation reality in this earth. Mm-hmm. Not as perfect people, no. but as following a perfect Savior. Perfect Savior. Yeah. So let's let's talk about, because Jesus was obviously, you know, he exemplified the kingdom. Remember, he did everything he did was kingdom, was the kingdom of God, I believe. At least, at least I hope I'm right on that one. Um, let's talk through some of the yeah. examples that Jesus really lived out for us, you know, because I think a lot of the times modern Christians, a lot are not, you know, too scholarly. They mm-hmm. want some applicable things to take away from Jesus. And I know not everything is black and white. We know that, right? A lot of the scriptures, we've made it too black and white and therefore missed the purpose of the scriptures. Um, but let's talk about some of those situations where you believe that Jesus, like for applicable everyday life, Jesus truly lived out the kingdom of God among the people. I think anytime Jesus came up against the structures of the systems of the world and showed us that third way, I think that's probably the most prime examples of where we see the kingdom in the life of, of Christ. Let's, let me start with this, and we'll go, I'll go back to that. Um, Peter said of Jesus in the book of Acts, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And this is a first-generation witness just a few years after Christ, looking back going, tell us about Jesus. And he goes, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And doing good for Jesus did not always line up with the powers that be. I mean, for instance, he goes in on the synagogue on the Sabbath to the synagogue and he heals the man with a withered hand. And the powers that be, the scribes and the Pharisees, are angry at him because he's broken the Sabbath. As far as they're concerned, he, he absolutely broke the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, what, what would be better? You know, should we make this should we make this man wait or the woman who's uh, bent over for 18 years? Should we make her wait because it's on the Sabbath? So for Jesus, doing good did not always look like what was doing legally what was right. Mm-hmm. I, I like to say that there's a difference in doing good and doing right. And there's a difference in wrong and evil. And Jesus lived in a world where everyone was harping on what was right and wrong. But Jesus came along doing good. And doing good was healing everyone who was oppressed of the devil, regardless of whether it fell into your categories, regardless of whether it fell into your laws. One of the prime examples, okay, to use an example, um, might be John chapter 8, where the woman is caught in the act of adultery is brought to Jesus. She's caught. This is a very specific offense. She's caught mm-hmm. in the act of adultery. Yeah, mid, mid, going in. She's, it's she's, crazy. Yeah. She's most definitely in the act. She's also married. Mm-hmm. It's adultery. Yeah. She's not just having a relationship. She's cheating on the one she has. By Mosaic law, she deserves to die. And they know it. Jesus is no fool. So does Jesus. So the response that Jesus gives is going to have to look something like the kingdom of 
God versus the kingdoms of man because man has a system yeah. in which she would die. And we know the answer. You know, we know that Jesus neither do I condemn to go and sin no more. And so in the kingdom tilts towards mercy, the kingdom tilts towards grace, the kingdoms of this earth pull a sword in the garden and cut off Malchus' servant's ear because that's what you do. The kingdom of God reaches down and picks the ear up and puts it back on the head and says, put your sword away, permit even this. The kingdom of God says, put the sword away, permit even this, when the most logical thing is to pull another sword. Mm. And so I think as you watch Jesus work, anytime you see the unusual, it's unusual because it goes against what we think you should do. It goes against how we think you should respond. And what I have found is that's usually where the the kingdom begins, Mm. is in those spaces where my natural inclination is to do one thing, and it takes that voice of the Holy Spirit retraining me to do another. And that's where the kingdom comes alive. Um, and, And it really goes against that whole system that's been laid out from the... Yeah. From the book of Genesis. Uh, and Jesus comes sort of living in opposite of that. So how do we get away from thinking that the kingdom of God is simply about moralistic standings? That's a great question. I wish I knew how. If I knew how, I would be implementing that. Well, so let's, yeah, yeah so, let, so let's put it this way. If someone were to ask me, okay, the kingdom of God is not about moralistic standings, then what is the purpose of the kingdom of God? I would probably counter with what is the purpose of moralistic standings. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you're, if, you, if the purpose of your moralistic standing is to make it to heaven, mm-hmm. then your moralistic standing doesn't have much to do with your neighbor. Yeah, 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 sure. It's all about you making sure you do the right thing, go to heaven. So, and I would say you don't understand the righteousness of God. Yeah. Um, so moralistic standings as a construct that makes the world a better place Okay, you got a little bit of an argument because it would. It would make the world a better place if you didn't steal your neighbor's wife and murder his kids and, uh, you know, the basic Ten Commandments stuff. Um, But the kingdom is not a system of laws and rules Mm. whereby we force people into our version of morality and righteousness. And you see that, that right there, Paul, that is what I'm having to learn that the kingdom of God is not about rules, right? Growing up in a society, deep south, you understand, you grew up in the south, where there's a very strict societal code. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. These are the rules. These are the rules. This is how you be a good citizen. This is how you be a good Christian. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Everything's an equation. Everything's a formula. And so one thing I'm having to work through and wrestle with is that the fact that the kingdom of God, you do not enter the kingdom of God by following rules, and you don't stay in the kingdom of God by following those same rules. And so I think that's something that I, sh- I still struggle with and working through, walking in grace. But I think it's also a thing that, you know, most modern Christians struggle with of thinking that we get in right because it's not by works that we are saved. But really, we a lot of the times we act like it's by works that we are saved yeah. and we act like it's by our works that we stay saved. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one thing that a lot of us wrestle through. And I'm glad you brought that point that the kingdom of God is not about rules and it's not about morality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Listen, the kingdom of God is here and alive and well, whether you believe it or not or walk in it or not. Yeah. 
This is what I meant by Jesus said the kingdom is a mind change away. Repent, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God's at hand. Yeah. I mean, if you right changed there. your mind, you could step into the mm-hmm. reality of the kingdom. If you don't change your mind, you're gonna you're probably going to marry yourself in one way or the other to the kingdoms of this age, kingdoms of this world. Which I think key to people like me who are on this journey of truly understanding or coming to an understanding, a deeper understanding, is understanding what repentance actually means, right? It's not falling at an altar every Sunday. Oh, God, I sinned against you. Forgive me. Don't cast me into hell. It's not. It's changing your mind, right? And I love what you say in your sermons. You know, you say you should be repenting every day. You should be seeing God in new ways every day. And in one of your sermons, you brought up how uh, Paul, when uh, Paul preached in Acts 20, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, the leaders, and he was talking about what he had preached among them, and it was repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. And so I think that's beautiful that he was preaching re- repentance towards God and you also brought it, it means this. Any wrong ways you see God, God, I'm sorry. I see you. You are good. Yeah. Everything you have planned for us is good. And I think that's the key, one of the keys of understanding the kingdom truly is just doing what Jesus said. Repent. Yeah. For the kingdom of God is at exactly. hand. And now we know it's here. Yeah. I would say if you're not repenting every day, I'm not, this is, I'm not trying to mean this as a statement of condemnation, but I would say to believers, if you're we're not actively repenting, it probably means that you don't understand repentance. And I, I would agree with that. And I think once you come to that revelation of what repentance is, I, I personally have experienced it changes the way you see the Father. It changes the yes. way you interact with Christ in your everyday life. It truly is the game changer, which hence why Jesus said, before you enter the kingdom, repent. Yeah, and to your point in the book of Acts, repent, Paul preaches repentance towards God and faith in Jesus, towards Jesus. We preach the faith in Jesus a lot, but we don't preach the repentance towards God enough. And we've got golden calf Christianity going crazy. We, we built a God that looks like us. We built a God that talks like us, acts like us. Instead of changing our mind about God, mm-hmm. and if we could change our mind about God. So one of, the re- one of the reasons that repentance involves a turning, in fact, the Romans would use the word uh, repent as a way to tell the troops to turn around march the other way. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons it's is closely associated with turning is because if you were to change your mind about God, you would by default begin to become spiritually formed towards what you just changed your mind towards. You would not be able to be the same because you've had a mind change towards God. There's something about you then that would turn towards the new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So as we repent, we're actively turning. This is the work of the kingdom. The kingdom is that work of us repenting and there's an active changing towards God. Mm -hmm. I I truly believe that's part of the reason that Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me. Because it's part of... In a, in a practical sort of psychological sense, it's picking up the heaviest load you can, taking up a hill. But in a spiritual sense, it is actively changing your mind about God and placing what you thought about God on that cross mm-hmm. and following Jesus with it and letting him transform you into a resurrected being. Yeah. That's the active work of the kingdom. And I think it's why Jesus said the kingdom will not come by observation. And he literally uses a Greek word for stuff you can see. He mm-hmm. goes, the kingdom's not yeah. what you can see. Mm-hmm. He goes, the kingdom's in your midst. Yeah. And scholars have been baffled for years. Did Jesus mean the kingdom's inside of you? Did Jesus mean the kingdom's right here in the middle of this yeah. circle? Maybe both. Yeah. Why not? The kingdom, if, if 
you're in the kingdom, then the kingdom's in you. Yeah, the, the New King James says within you, the kingdom of God is within yes. you. Yes. Yeah. And, and Which I like that. I personally think I Jesus was obviously like, hey, the, obviously the kingdom of God is not, hey, look over here, because that's what the Pharisees ask him, right? They say, yeah. well, when will we see the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, it's not something you'll say, hey, see here or look over there. But the kingdom of God is within you. And I think that's so beautiful yeah. because, right, it takes us back to that place of realizing it's not about what we build, it's about what we live. And I think if we don't see it that way, then the kingdom becomes a euphemism for heaven. So people yeah. go, I want to go to the to heaven someday. That's what Jesus was talking about. So they'll quote like John 3, mm-hmm. where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and goes, Don't you know, unless a man is born again, he doesn't he doesn't have the kingdom. And we'll say, see, you gotta get saved to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. We just made up two words there. Mm-hmm. We call born again get saved, and we call the kingdom heaven. Jesus didn't. Yeah. Jesus didn't say unless you get saved, you can't go to heaven. Jesus said unless you're born again, you'll yeah. receive the kingdom. What if Jesus didn't mean what we think he means? Mm-hmm. What if he didn't mean unless you pray the sinner's prayer and go to a place called heaven? What if he meant unless you step into a recreation? That's only going to happen by going to the cross and the resurrection. Unless you recreate, repent, change your mind, have spiritual formation, kingdom doesn't become relevant and real to you. Yeah. You continue to walk in the ways of this world. But once, and see, I don't, I first had a quote unquote born again experience when I was six years old. I can take you back to a September Sunday night, 1983. Papa Bluff, Missouri. My dad preached a Sunday night sermon. I have no idea what it was on. But I remember going down to the little altar, yeah. kneeling down, and having my first actual memory mm-hmm. of, I want to live for Jesus. All right. I did that because I was scared to go to hell. Yeah. Straight up. Straight up. That's it. Straight I had no theology mm-hmm. other than I had just heard that every one of us are going to hell. And if you die right now and you haven't accepted Jesus, you'll go. Yeah. So I went down there going, you know, I don't want to die right now, go to hell. But that was not, in my opinion, when I was born again. Mm-hmm. That was when I prayed the prayer. Yeah. That was my first encounter with God. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, it was my encounter with a God that was pretty mad. But I started getting born again as I started understanding who God is. Yeah. And you'll notice I said I started getting born again because mm-hmm. I've been born again over and over again. I've been born into a reality that he loves me. I've been born into the reality he's not mad at me. I've been born into the reality of the kingdom of God. Uh, and that born again experience, this is why I think I just said this to our group Tuesday night. So we need to change our ideal, our, our idea of salvation as a one-time event in the past. Mm. Salvation is the ongoing process of my transformation in Christ. And this is my salvation. What you and I are doing here today is part of our salvation. Mm. It's part of it. It's yeah. a small part of it. But quite frankly, you don't know how big of a part it is. Yeah. Something that comes out of the conversation you have today could be the turning point in what you do with your tomorrow, which changes the next five, ten years of your life. If that ain't part of your journey, what in the world is your journey? Mm-hmm. Salvation is the entire experience that I have with the Lord. And so I know there's utility in saying when you get saved. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be picky about terminology. There is utility in when you get saved. What we mean is, this first time you met Christ. But in reality, our salvation is not a one-time event. Yeah. Any more than the kingdom is a place you're going to. The kingdom is a reality that you step into. And that leads me to this thought. It's probably a place you're going to go to in regards to the church. But the kingdom, according to Jesus, is not something that we build. 
So we got people in the church who say it's our job to go out and build the kingdom. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. The kingdom is going to be built whether you do anything or not. Yeah. Because Jesus said the kingdom is like a seed you put in the ground. At one point, Mark, he said the kingdom is like a farmer who puts a seed in the ground and goes home and goes to bed. Mm-hmm. He wakes up in the morning and the seed's doing what it's doing. And yeah. it was Jesus' way of saying, you don't have to do anything but implant me. Yeah. If you plant me in people, the kingdom will grow. And the church then is just an arm yeah. of the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is in this. I, I can't say it's enough. The we kingdom is not a building or a structure yeah. or a list of rules. Or the, the kingdom is the fullness of who Christ is being lived out in every one of us. Christ is building his church. We are building structures full of people mm-hmm. who are in love with Jesus. And that's fine. And, and we need that. We need local churches. We need global churches. I mean, churches, what, the inter- that the, that place where mission meets community and mm-hmm. something explodes. But the kingdom, we're simply an arm of the kingdom, living the kingdom, spread, uh, uh, loving people into the kingdom, uh, telling people about the king and the declaration. That's why we need a new definition of the word gospel, mm-hmm. I think. You know, gospel is good news. Everybody knows gospel is good news. But I started to ask people, say, well, okay, good news of what? Yeah. And when they give you the good news, it's horrible. It's bad news. It's really go, bad well, it's news. good news. You don't have to go to hell. They go, and they, they think that's good news. Yeah. The only thing that's permeating my my knowledge there is hell. Yeah. It's not the good news I don't have to go. The good news is the proclamation that the king has come. Yeah. I'm in a kingdom, and the king's here. Good news. The king's home. If the king's home, kingdom be all right. Well, I saw I saw a meme the other day talking about kind of that same concept of, well, what's the good news? The good news is you won't go to hell. And it was literally it was, it was a little square of four pictures. And on one, Jesus knocks on the door and the person says, who is it? And Jesus says, it's me. Like, what's up, Jesus? What are you doing here? Um, he says, I'm, I'm here to save you. And the person says, save me from what? Save me from what I'm going to do to you if you don't believe in me. And it's like, whoa, but that's our mentality, right? Jesus here is here to save us. What he's going to do to us if if we don't accept. And I, I think that's the absolutely incorrect idea absolutely. of what it means to believe in Jesus or why even to believe. Jesus did not come to save you from the Father. Yeah. Which I think is one of the biggest sermons that need to be preached in America probably. Yeah. Jesus did not come to save you from the Father. In fact... If you just watch Jesus, if I just keep saying it, go back and reread the Gospels. Yeah. Just watch Jesus. Jesus had a problem with religion that kept people from God. That ticked him off. Like he gets so mad, he turns over tables. Jesus had a problem with demonic possession. Every time he encounters someone who's demon possessed, he casts them out. Mm-hmm. He don't play with them. He don't counsel them through it. He casts them out. And Jesus has a problem with Satan, the accuser. He'll rebuke him if he finds him in a wilderness or in his best friend, Peter. Mm. He's not going to put up with it. So who's he against? He, he doesn't want you to be overrun by the spirits of this age. He doesn't want you to listen to the voice of the accuser. And he doesn't want you to let religious hurdles keep you from his father. Mm. He's not against you. He's not against your heart. He's not against your hopes. He's not against your dream. He's against darkness. Yeah. He's against evil. He's not against the Father. And, and that was so confusing. One of the illustrations, one of the stories I always like to share to try to point, point that out. It's, it was so confusing to the disciples what Jesus was doing. Mm-hmm. Just before he goes to the cross, one of his disciples, Philip, raises his hand and goes, Jesus, just show us the Father. 
And Jesus says, Philip, and this is a great question, because rhetorically, let's try to answer this question. How long do I need to be with you before you know that if you see me, you see the Father? No one ever answers that question. But what's the answer to the question? How long would Jesus need to be with you before if you saw him, you'd see the Father? And the answer is scary because the answer is unless you repent towards God, Jesus could stay here forever and you'd never see the Father because you have an image of God that doesn't look like Jesus. And if your image of God doesn't look like Jesus, your image of God's wrong. Jesus is wrong. Yeah. That's the cold reality. I mean, Jesus is either wrong and he's not what he said he was, or your image of God is wrong. So this is what I say to people. If you have an idea of God, put, put Jesus over it. And if it lines up perfectly with Jesus, you can call that God. <laughs> if it's askew, something's wrong with your something's wrong with your image of God. That actually, in John 14, 8 through 9, that's actually the passage that set me on the journey I'm currently on. Because reading that, when he said that to Philip, I was like, I'm Philip. I have been, how many years have I said I believe in Jesus? And how many years have I struggled with my relationship with God? I have. I was cool with Jesus. The whole concept of God in the sky, mad, angry, and here's Jesus loving everyone and caring for everyone and dying for everyone. I'm sitting here thinking, it doesn't make sense. And so I I think that's that's a perfect question. Ask yourself, unless you repent, can you truly ever see Jesus as God or God as Jesus, right? Because Jesus would never do anything God wouldn't do, and God would never do anything Jesus wouldn't do. Jesus does not come to change. God's mind. He doesn't come to save us from his father. He comes to show us that we've been wrong about the father. Plain and simple. You've been wrong about my dad. Well, what did your dad really look like? This. This is what he looked like. And it was so offensive Mm. to the world of his day that crucified him. So don't be surprised if the God you see through Jesus offends your family, Mm. your friends, your mentor, your mentee, (laughs) your next door neighbor. Because when you see God through the Jesus lens, Jesus said, your enemies are going to be those of your own house. He said, father's going to turn against son, mother against daughter. Why? Because we have a version of God that we cling to. And when you start to change that version of God, People will fight to the death. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to change that version of God. Mm. I'm just trying to show you Jesus and let Jesus change that version of God. In a nutshell, everything we're talking about is the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about Jesus, you're talking about the king. And this is why the kingdom starts to become a reality in you as you become infatuated with Jesus. You and I, before we went on, before we hit record, we're talking about the fact that I I go into a lot of grace circles where people counter, when you start talking about Jesus, they counter with Paul. Like you'll quote Jesus, but Paul says, and and I've gotten to the place where I'm like, well, who are you a disciple of? Jesus or or Paul or Peter or John? Pick, Pick which one you want. You want John? You want Peter? You want Paul? Who saved you? Yeah, which is what he deals is what Paul deals with in First Corinthians chapter one. Yeah, right. Who were you baptized into? Yeah, he says, "God, it wasn't me." Yeah, yeah he did. Paul is refuting what they are literally saying about him. Yeah. So, I, I don't let Jesus be subservient to him. Yeah. Don't let the words of Jesus be subservient. And if you struggle with the words of Jesus, go to Jesus yeah. with it. 
you know, you get to talk to the Father every day. Father, I don't understand what you're doing here through Jesus. But that's the place where we need to be wrestling. Yeah. Is and and if and what I tell our group is if you're reading the Bible, let's say you're reading the Old Testament and you read a story and you go, Man, I don't look like Jesus. Move on. I mean, we're beating ourselves to death trying to figure out yeah. stories about God as if we don't have Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So go to Jesus. Go. And you go, well, I can't see Jesus there. Well, then move on. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm supposed to know this story. No, you're not. Jesus, and this is some of the things we're going to talk about tomorrow here, but Jesus is walking down the road with two disciples on the resurrection afternoon on the way to Emmaus. And the Bible says they're blind. They don't know who he is. And they go, didn't, didn't you know, hear about what's going on? And, you know, we thought he was the one. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that he began to open the scriptures and teach them the things concerning himself. Mm-hmm. Which means, he, and he didn't have a Bible, but let's see, you know, for illustration purposes, he takes his Old Testament and he just starts pointing out Jesus. Mm-hmm. It took seven miles that walk. Yeah. A couple hours. You think he pointed out every story in the Old Testament in seven miles? No. Why not? Because not every story is pointing to Jesus. Yeah. So if it doesn't point to Jesus, read it for what it is and move on. And we're freaking out trying to twist this into that and put this round peg in the square hole. You're a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Yeah. Not look unto Moses. Yeah. Not look unto David. Not look unto Elijah. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. And to make that very succinct, you know, we're coming up on Transfiguration Sunday in the church. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, there's the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, standing there with Jesus. And Peter, being a good disciple, like all of us, goes, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> three tent houses, one yeah. for Moses and Elijah, because in Peter's mentality, he's being a good Jew. Yeah. Uh, he thinks he's elevating Jesus. You know who you are? You're as good as Moses and Elijah. And suddenly, there's a voice from heaven, and God goes, this is my son here, and Moses and Elijah vanish. Who's left on the field? Jesus. Christian, there's no one left on the field but Jesus. Not Moses, not Elijah, just Jesus. Yeah. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. And the second question on our topic is this. How can and should the church exemplify the kingdom of God to the world? And I think this question is very vital because of the fact um, of everything happening in society. Um, The Grammys, right? For example, everyone was outraged about, uh, I think his name Sam Smith, dressing up like Satan and doing his performance. And the church's response thus far that I've seen is we got to step up and take back the music industry. That's been the only response I've seen. And I think this is a really good question for us as the church, us as the local church, how should we and can we exemplify the kingdom of God to the world? Preach Jesus and only Jesus. Don't conflate the work of the devil. Don't be so sure you don't frequently do the work of the devil. Let's get into that. Let's talk about that. You have the anointing to spot the spirit of Antichrist. The Antichrist in 1 John was already in the world. The Antichrist is not some character coming onto the world scene, but a spirit that has already infiltrated the earth. And it is anything that stands against Christ. I think we do the work of the devil a lot of times in the church, in the pulpit, when we do not point people to the liberty that is found in Christ. 
and we conflate the gospel with a lot of other things. If the church is outraged of what they saw at the Grammys, the judgment should begin at the house of God, not at the Grammys. The, the reality is, is that we, we do a lot more to harm the cause of Christ than a guy dressed in a red suit dancing around on stage. And we do it because we don't present Christ as enough. And we put the sword in his hand and we make him a bloodthirsty, retributive killer. Far too often. Um, the church can exemplify the kingdom by preaching Jesus and loving like Jesus. And if we will do, and to do that, we have to be a safe space for people to come as they are. The church should be full of sinners. How can it not be? Yeah. When you walk through the door, you are coming to the Lord's table. And the Lord invites all to his table. I didn't say the church is full of sinners who are not exhibiting faith in Christ and repenting. But it's full of sinners. It's full of people who are welcomed into sanctuary. And I think it's how the church can exhibit the kingdom in the world is loving and accepting like Jesus. So let, so let me ask you this, and let's, let's just go ahead and get, get into it a bit. Um, how, if Jesus, right, obviously this is, this is not literal. If Jesus were alive today, right, let's just say, well, he is alive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In, in the physical form of a man walking amongst us instead of 2,000 years ago, how would Jesus, what would Jesus' response be to Sam Smith dancing up on a stage dressed like the devil? I don't think there's any doubt that he loves him. Yeah. I don't think there's, there's any doubt that Jesus faced people in his day who were ignorant of what their father thought of them. I don't think we've just encountered some sinner greater than the centurion that approached Jesus and we just saw him at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. I, Jesus didn't give commentary on his culture, uh, and he could have. It doesn't mean he didn't have opinion. But Jesus pointedly said, whatever my father says, I say. Whatever my father does, I do. So it would seem to me that Jesus would love without compromising who his father is. And his father is a, a God of mercy, long-suffering, full of kindness. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness to pass before you. Jesus always showed the father as good. So I don't know what he would say about an individual yeah. as far as what they did and how they acted. But I don't see Jesus turning people away. Yeah. And I don't think the church, I don't, I don't think we're exemplifying the kingdom if we do. You know, it's just like Jesus shares communion with his disciples and he hands the bread and the cup to Judas. And Judas goes out and betrays him. Yeah. We don't make sure people qualify for the body and the blood of Jesus. We fling wide the doors and we bring them in. There's that moment, um, 
I believe in the end he fills his kingdom. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. But I know the church is an arm of that. So we shouldn't stand in the way of the kingdom being filled. Remember that story in Luke 16 where Jesus says, until John, Hmm. um, there were the law and prophets. But then since then, there's been the good news of God's kingdom. And he said, everyone, this is a Greek translation, he goes, everyone is being forced into it. Until John was the law. He says, but now is the good news of the kingdom and everyone's being forced into it. Yeah. So don't stand in the way. So don't stand in the way. Yeah, I agree completely. So the church needs to get out of the way if God's... There's also an alternate. There's a there's a the word when I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And you know, when I when I be lifted up, I will draw on me. That word draw is the same word as drag in Greek. If I be lifted up, I'll drag everybody to me. Don't get in the way of what the Lord's dragging. <laughs> yeah. That's the kingdom. Yeah. Don't be an obstacle. Don't be an obstacle. The worst thing the church can do is stand in the way of God bringing people yeah. in. I mean, I, th- I think that pretty much covers the question. I think that's probably. Yeah. yeah. I that's, think a t- so. that's a tough one because I know we want, like, physical manifestations. Yeah. What would it look like in our city council? What would it look yeah. like in our state? What would it look like in Hollywood? I think we've got to stop thinking that our job is to take over the systems of the world. Oh, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, we are not I, the systems of the world. I don't think the right response from the church is let's conquer the music industry. Absolutely. Right, because okay, let's okay. Sam Smith is irrelevant already. There are plenty of other people who are doing what he's doing. If you even if you cancel Sam Smith, there's going to be someone else to come out of the way. That's just that's the yeah. systems of the world. Yeah, you, and I, I really don't think the right response is oh Christianity has to take over the music industry. No, I don't. I don't think that's the right response for how we battle this. How do we battle? Well, with love, with acceptance, with like you said, preaching Jesus. See, we're thinking we're thinking exactly like they thought in Jesus' day. When we say stuff like that. Yeah. They were disappointed. Let's go back to that road to Emmaus. Remember what that disciple says? Jesus goes, why are you guys so glum? They go, have you heard what happened this weekend? Have you heard what happened when they crucified Jesus? And they, they, they then they tip their hand. They go, we thought he was the one mm. who would redeem Israel. Yeah. Well, my argument is he is the one who redeems Israel. Yeah. But they didn't think so because he didn't redeem them their way. And to me, when I hear people say things like, we're supposed to take back Hollywood, we're supposed to take over the White House, we're supposed yeah. to take I think we have created a Jesus that takes over stuff through the systems of the world. Which, right, like you just said, is the same as the way they thought Jesus was coming to conquer Rome. That's right. We think Jesus is coming to conquer America. You know what that <laughs> is? Spirit of Antichrist. Yeah. Anti-Jesus. Yeah. And that's what I said. Be careful you don't do the work of the devil. <laughs> So let's okay. Let, let's jump into this third question, which is how can individual believers in their everyday life live out the kingdom? And so we talked about from the broad perspective, what is the kingdom of God? We talked about a little bit more narrow perspective of how can the church exemplify the kingdom of God to the world? But now let's talk about how can individual believers, I mean, in the workplace, in their home life, what does it look like to live out, live in, and live through the kingdom of God? Jesus said, it's your father, it's my father. Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Um, And so we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, the kingdom of God. We've already been given that. What are we supposed to do with it? Mm -hmm. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. He said, on this things all the law and prophets. When Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, he did not mean moral code because he turns around and argues moral code in the Sermon on the Mount. But he meant, I'm going to do 
what the law hoped you would do, and that's love people. Paul says that in Romans 9, and he goes, whatever commandment there is, it is all fulfilled in this one saying, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor yourself. Mm-hmm. To me, the way that you live the kingdom out is to love your neighbor as yourself. I know it sounds super kindergarten Sunday school, but it's the golden rule. Which it probably needs to be. It it's probably needs to be that. It's the golden rule. Childlike faith. Yeah, and here's, so let's take it from Sunday school to master's level. Yeah. All right? Jesus does it in one verse. He goes, do unto others you'd have them do unto you for such is the law and the prophets. That's kindergarten, right? Treat people the way you wish you'd be treated. Welcome to the kingdom. And then he jumps you to doctoral thesis in the next verse. And he goes, straight as the gate, narrows the way that leads unto eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the path that leads unto destruction. And many there be that go thereon. And we think he's preaching two different sermons. He's not. The way that is straight and narrow is treating people the way you wish you'd be treated. And the easy way is to do whatever you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Treat them however you want to treat them. Crush them. Get ahead. Win. Yeah. Be the tops. Don't lose. What's it take? Who cares? It's the broad way. Mm. Guess who it kills? Everyone it touches. Everybody. So the kingdom is the straight and narrow way. We think straight and narrow is moral code. Jesus just told you what it looked like. Straight and narrow, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. You don't think that's straight and narrow? Try it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I challenge you. If you don't think that's straight and narrow, try it. Try it for one day. I was going to say try it for a week. You won't yeah. like it. Try it for one day. I'm going to treat people today the, wish, the way I wish I were treated. And watch how fast it falls apart when someone cusses you out, mm. flips you off, cuts you off in traffic, hurts your kid, bad mouths you, yeah. steals your money runs over you, undercuts you at work. The way of reciprocity, the way of Cain comes back really fast. Give people what they deserve. Yeah. That's the Broadway. Yeah. Right? It's the Broadway. Win. Leads to destruction. So how do we live the kingdom out in our day-to-day lives? Kindergarten answer, golden rule. Yeah. Deeper answer, straight and narrow. They're the same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. There we go, man. Well, Paul, thank you so much, man. You're welcome. I truly appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, everyone, thank you for listening in. When uh, we upload this and you guys get a chance to listen to it, I'm super excited about this. I hope this blesses you. I hope this is life and truth to you. And I hope you go out and you live the kingdom the way Jesus intended. God bless and grace to you in Jesus Christ.